Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees which which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, but God, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves, fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Welcome back to Conversing with the Text, a member of the Crown Rights Cast Network. Glad that you have uh, chosen to uh, join us again. I am Pastor Michael Ware, and we are once again in the book of Genesis. And as you heard, we are now in chapter 3. I read verses 1 through 7. We will not get there. I did that for context. I'll probably do that the next three or four podcasts um, as as we're going to walk slowly through this part uh, of Genesis. But we... Well, you know, we need to we need to cover this and and get this. Um, what I really want to deal with is tactics. This that's that's where my focus has been uh, as I thought about this podcast this week, what was coming up, and what we were going to be talking about. And this is this is one of the things that's just really been prominent, and it's been prominent in my mind because I'm currently in our in our actual sermon series. I'm I'm in chapter four this week. I'm doing verses nine through twelve, and um, and I just see I see the tactics being used, diversion, and and those kind of things. And you know we we you know we need to uh, seek not to be ignorant of the schemes or the devices of the devil. Because what happens is that well I'm gonna get there. I'm trying to jump the gun. I'll I'll stop. You know before we talk about that, I want us to to have an understanding of the first verse. Right this this is a place of embarrassment for many in the church. Uh, as we are told that the tempter was a talking snake. Can you believe that? People really believe that there was a snake in the garden and it could talk. Yeah, yeah, and I believe that. I believe that. And and it should not be something that we that we should blush over. This should never be our reaction. We we should never, ever, ever, and I heard this somewhere else, I'm stealing it from Doug Wilson, but we should never, never, ever be embarrassed or apologize for anything that's in the Scripture. Because when we do that, what we begin to do is give up truth. We give up ground to the enemy, and then we give him actually a really big stick to beat us with. If God's Word tells us that pigs fly at night, then we must believe pigs fly at night. Now we know it doesn't, but what I want to—the point I want to make—is that when when the Bible says that the serpent was the most cunning creature 
that God had ever created or the or that the uh, or any of the beasts of the field uh, then we need to believe that and we need to believe when it says the serpent said to the woman he did actually speak right so this we need to we need to get that right in our head so this chapter starts with a description of the tempter I think the reason for this is we would never on our own think in reality. Now, we would imagine it, you know, and maybe write fairy tales about it, but we would never go, hey, there was one time that snakes talked, or at least one did. You know, we would never come up with that on our own. It's not normal. We don't have conversations with serpents. We're not going to be able to. We, we won't do that. Uh, and at least at least until the creation's renewed, and I don't know that it will be then. I'm not saying that. Uh, please don't misunderstand me, but what I am saying is this is not something that would just naturally come to our minds, uh, and, and so God is here introducing us uh, to this animal, which at least uh, etymologically is related to the great sea creature called Tanum, uh, in Genesis 1, uh, I think the King James calls it a whale. Uh, the New King James, it's a great sea creature. Uh, so, you know, we said there when we covered that text that these creatures are called dragons in other places. Um, and and we noted uh, that, that Satan is called a dragon in Revelation by John. There's a connection in the Greek and the Hebrew words that are used uh, by the... Um, the translators of the Septuagint, um, what Greek words they chose. Um, they chose the word drag, dragon or dragoon uh, in, uh, in the Greek uh, for, for this word tannin. And so there's a connection there. And then also we noted that uh, Brother John, the apostle, uh, called Satan a dragon in, in Revelation and we, we then should be willing to at least acknowledge that there is the possibility that this was not some small little green snake, but a, but a great creature. And I, at the time of, that I covered this text uh, in the sermon, I, hand, I gave a handout um, of, of what I would say it's probably closer to, I think, the rendering of a Japanese uh, dragon is probably closer to what we would see. It's a long serpent-like body. Uh, cylindrical body like a snake. Uh, I don't know if the head's right, but 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 it has legs. It has four legs, and so um, and I believe that when it says cursed, uh, are you of, of all the beasts of the field, and 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 tells him that he's going to go about on his belly eating dust. I, I believe that's because he was not once a animal that crawled on his belly, but was an actual creature with legs. So. Now, he is said to be more crafty, and this, this stumps us a little bit because what we do is we, we read wickedness into this word, right? It's crafty or he's, or he's cunning. But, but this is not always the sense of the word, just like those. You can be good crafty, right? You know, you, you, can, you can stand for the kingdom of God in a crafty way, and that, and that be a good thing, right? You, you, right? You're doing well. You're cunning. You're prudent. Right, these are the ways that this this word is also translated uh, in, like I think it's it's like ten different times uh, in prover- in Proverbs. Um, it, it likely means that the snake had more understanding than all the other beasts of the field. Uh, this has led some to believe that the serpent 
has been placed by God over the man and his wife to teach them and prepare them for their duties. What we can say, definitely, is that this is a real snake who was cunning and able to talk. We can't back off of that. We can't back off of that. This is a historical account of the fall. This does not seem to be a very strange thing to the couple either. Adam and Eve being together deal with this talking snake as if his speaking was nothing out of the sorts. It's not a, not an unru- unusual thing. There's nothing nothing weird about this at all. Nothing to see, guys. Move along. Right? There's no indication that, um, or, or from what we are told in the scriptures, that this you know in any way surprised Adam or Eve. They weren't shocked that this this animal could speak. And the last thing I'd like to point out uh, on this is uh, not something that we uh, try to explain. Um, I don't want us to try to explain away things because we can't explain them fully. Many minimalist teachers in the church have tried to make this a theological thing rather than a historical thing. In other words, God God is basically telling us a parable of the fall to help us to understand kind of what happened uh, that that caused the sin. The snake never spoke, and Adam and Eve didn't speak to the snake. This is just, you know, God dramatizing things for theological reasons. And, and I just want to say, you know, there are times when very smart men say really stupid things. Because there's no indication in this text that would make us ever think such a thing, right? This this is not this is not you know the kingdom is like unto like Christ said. No, this is this is what happened. This is what was going on with the snake. So they do this simply to bow the knee to scholastic dogma. There's no talking snakes today. We've never seen them. It can't be replicated. It can't be true. Well, you're not just a minimalist now, Joker. You're you're an unbeliever. I mean, that's that's just what it is. Right? You you now have another faith. When you trust what man says over what God says, then you you're no longer of the faith. You've walked away. You've shipwrecked your faith, at least until you repent. You're showing, you're, that is the definition of an unbeliever. Right? You, we we got to realize that. When we say that God is in some way tricking us, or this is not true because so-and-so said so, then so-and-so is your, is your leader. He's, he's your authority. And so we must not do this. We must not do this. Next, let's talk about tactics. For the reason I wanted to be here, it's what I wanted to do. I think this topic is so vitally important, especially as we continue to go down the wormhole to Wonderland. I mean, as people are taking their brains out and literally playing with them, um, rather than thinking with them or playing softball with them or whatever they're doing, we as Christians have been forced off the field because we are too nice to say that our enemy is at war with us. The humanists want to destroy the church. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, because 
because you're going to take this as I'm saying they're all sitting in a room conspiring against us. No, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but what I want you to understand is there is an innate desire in every person to take dominion. It's there from the creation. And just like all of our other desires that God gave us from creation for food, for sex, for love, for clothing, for uh, you know, warm, warm place to, to sleep, all those innate good desires that God gives us has been twisted by the fall. And so when we talk about dominion, it is not a case of whether or not, it's not a case of whether or not man will take dominion, but which man? And we need to understand that that this is this is this is what drives men to go to war with each other. This is what drives men to steal. This is what drives men to work hard and to try to prosper. This is what drives men to have large families and what drives men to have beautiful wives. Why? Because they want to win the world. Now that is innately in us. That is innately in us. And we can we can pander to people all day long. No, the humanist just wants different things. And he sees, he thinks, no, he's at war with the church. Now, he, he doesn't hate you in his heart, maybe, necessarily. What he does is he hates God, and he hates every time he sees God in you. Every time you imitate Jesus, then he hates that, and he wants, he wants to win. And so what he's trying to do is get the church, and, and they're doing it. They're winning this battle they're, they're running this play on us all the time, right? We, we're told constantly, we're told constantly, you know, these political things, that, that has nothing to do with the church. I mean, you have, a, you have a supposed Christian stand in the state house of South Carolina and say that, that we're not in Sunday school and that she doesn't want to talk about God when it comes to abortion. Now, this is a conservative Republican, quote-unquote, Christian. You do scare quotes, quote-unquote, scripture uh, Christian, who's telling you, no, I have left my, my biblical understanding, I've left my Christianity at the door. No, sweetheart, you're not a Christian. You're an unbelieving humanist. You're just putting on the sheep's clothing. You're not a sheep. You're a goat. Right? And so we need to get that straight in our head. Before we go forward, there are tactics that are being used against the Christian church to silence her and to make her uh, ashamed. And we've got to stop them from running those plays against us, as Douglas Wilson would say. Right? We, we fail to recognize that the sons of Satan are running plays on us. And they're stopping us from being effective. And not only that, they're hurting evangelism because nobody wants to be on the side of the loser. Right? Men want to be victorious. That innate dominion desire there again and we need to recognize that we we need to recognize that we rather are to be as wise as serpent as as, and as gentle as doves now this this verse that verse as wise as serpents is taken from this cunning statement here in verse one of chapter three this means that we need to know that we're at war and the enemy is a brilliant tactician i mean tactician excuse me we here Satan possessing or tempting the serpent uses him to lure Eve into tempting her husband. Right? It's never a direct attack. Rarely ever, rarely ever is it a direct attack. 
We must always suspect that Satan is using someone to mislead, silence, or draw us into apostasy. Satan knows we cannot take he cannot take away our salvation, but he can make us unfruitful. We must therefore be constantly renewing our minds, constantly renewing our minds, meditating on the Word of God, understanding what the Word of God means, what it's saying, what it's teaching us, how it impacts our lives, how do we apply it. I was told by someone, and I'm, I'm, I'm very made, made me overjoyed. He said, I've never heard anybody apply Scripture in a sermon as much as you. you you're constantly using application. Well, that's what it's all about. It's not just what it means, but what is it? What now? What does it mean for me? What do, What do I have to do with this now? How does this affect me? What does this change in who I am? So we must wake up from the idea that we are not in combat. The best way to defeat an enemy is to make him think you are his friend. Oh, that Hitler is such a good neighbor. Now that we have defeated Poland together, said Stalin the early part of 1941. By November of 1942, his country was on the brink of collapse, and the German tanks were within 50 miles of Moscow. So I have a question, Christian. Do you hear the woke tanks shaking the ground and the CRT planes buzzing overhead? They're right at the doors, guy. In fact, I'll go one better. They've breached the they've breached the wall. They're in the church, at least in the American church. Not only that, they're running place. And see, see, here's the thing, and this is how you know it's a tactic of Satan. Right? You ready? The humanist is running the country. They have all the positions of power in the country. And now humanists are running the church and they're starting to take their their sheep costumes off. And show their horns. They're doing it. They're doing it. And we have to wake up and recognize that that's what they're doing. Because we have been asleep so long, we're, we're, we're on the brink now of losing the battle, and we ain't even been fighting. Or because we haven't been fighting. So what was the plan of Satan? Let's break, it, let's break this down. So first, Satan asked a question about God's command. Now, this is framed in a way to make the command look binding, right? That's, that's, that's what we get out of it, right? Did God really restrict you from the trees in the garden? Right? No, no, that's not what God said. But see, now it is, it is, it's, it's turned it in a light that they had never thought about before. They never thought about the negative side of the command. The negative side of the command was you can't have that tree. But they were thinking, man, look at all these beautiful trees we get to have, right? Well, instead of phrasing it that way, Right, so you can't have a that you can't have that tree. No, Satan says, "Oh, so God's telling you you can't have the trees of the garden." Right, so it's it's like you mean God will not let you do what you want with your body. Uh, no, you know, right? And we have to we have to think about how it's phrased. Right, God, God, God really cares about who you have sex with. God really cares how well you do your job. God really cares about what you do with your vehicle. He won't let you do what you want to do with your vehicle. Right? Second, doubt is brought into the command. You will not surely die. Because because in honesty, Eve answered 
fairly well. We're going we're gonna to break down the answer next week a little bit. But, but I mean, honestly, for being roughly two days old and never having dealt with a really wise talking serpent, I think she's doing good. I mean, I really think she's doing good. I think she needs to get her props for it. We want to blame Eve, but it is all Adam's fault. And, and y'all, men are going to hate that podcast because I'm telling you, I'm gonna I'm gonna blast us guys because it is our responsibility. It's our responsibility, right? So now doubts brought to the command. You you will not surely die. Mutilating yourself, giving yourself to multiple partners, killing your baby, stealing these things won't really hurt you. That's a lie. They don't really cause damage. They don't really cause emotional damage and and trauma. They don't do that. No, no, they don't do that. Third, defamation of God's character. Satan now turns after putting doubt, right, and making making the the command negative, putting it in a negative light. God is defamed. God is lying because he doesn't want to share godness with you. He knows in the day that you eat of that fruit you will become like him, right? He knows you'll become like him, and so he's keeping it from you. He's holding this back from you. He's restricting you, right? That's, is that not what we're told? Is that not what we're told? You, you, can't, be the, you can't be the best you because you're, you're weighed down with all these restrictions and rules and laws. You can't be the real you. How can you run free with all these fences around you and these areas of life that you have to you have to hold back and you can't touch and you can't taste and you can't eat? And that's what they'll do, right? Because because that is actually a bad understanding of Christianity. Paul actually damns the idea of don't taste, don't touch, don't eat. He he says, don't do that. It has an outward appearance of of piety but it has no effect against the indulgences of the flesh. He says, don't do that. Don't put all these restrictions on you. Just stick with the ten. Just do what God has commanded you, and you'll be all right. So, But that's what they do. They say, well, look, this is God won't let you do these things. Well, no, but look at all the great goodness and wonders that he gives us. How wonderful the things he does give us. Right? No, no, no. God wants you to be miserable, so he withholds full goodness from you. Then fourth, having created the doubt, Satan creates a new desire. Eve wants to look out for herself and determine for herself what was and was not good. And that's what she begins to do. Right? She looks at the fruit, and she, she determines on her own, hey, these things are good. It's good for food. It's pleasant to the eye. It's good to make one wise, right? So she begins to evaluate for herself, to determine for herself what is good. And this is the point uh, that, that is being, of this being a test for Adam. You see, we use the word arbitrary, not arbitrary in the sense of no good or, or, or worthless, but it has no basis in a need. So in other words, God doesn't need to tell us not to eat a certain fruit morally, right? It's not going to have moral damage on us. It's the, the fruit wasn't poison. They didn't fall over dead um, from arsenic poison because the, the fruit was poisonous. No, 
right? The, the, the point was, can you, for the simple reason that I'm God and I've told you not to, can you obey me? Can you just simply, because I've told you no, refrain from doing what I've asked, from, from doing this thing? Can you obey me? Will you truly obey me? Right? We, we talked about him learning obedience that way. How often we get too caught up in the why not to give ourselves fully to God by faith. We, we want to we wanna analyze and dissect the commands. Well, you know what? That's okay for, for these white tower theologians, but for us, for us poor country people, let's just do what God says. Now, what that means, I'm not saying we don't think through it and we don't meditate. I just told you to do that. What I'm saying is it does us no good. It does us no good to try to slice it paper thin to find out the whys that, that God has made com- all these commands. If you don't understand, it doesn't matter if you understand it. He's God. God does not treat us like men. He always has a reason, and it is always good. It's always a good reason. Only as we rest in Him will we discover true freedom and joy. Only as we rest in Him. We have to rest in Him. Now, we will see next week the unhappy end that proves to be our ruin. The thing that I want you to think, of, want you to think through between this week and next week is how are unbelievers following their father's tactics that we saw here, and how can you combat these tactics both in your own life in, the, in your own temptations, and out in the world where, where you should be defending the faith, where, you're, where you are sub, you know, submitting that Christ is Lord in your heart, and you're able then to give an answer when asked what the, about the hope that lives in, that's, that's in you, rather. Um, boy, I slaughtered that term. <laughs> um, so I want you to think about those things, and, uh, and I hope that... Uh, I hope this is this has uh, been helpful. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion, and I I ask that you would share and rate us, and tell your friends about us. And until next week, walk in a manner worthy of Christ to please God.